0: Welcome to Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Carolyn DeRosier. In the Fox
1: Valley area, there are thousands of nonprofit organizations that serve our communities, providing resources, education, and more. And today, we are coming to you from within the walls of one of them, the Building for Kids, originally called the Fox Cities Children's Museum.
0: Very exciting, Carolyn. And we are celebrating a huge milestone birthday. The Building for Kids is turning 30 years old. And joining us today is Oliver Zorno, the executive director here, and Casey Holcroft, marketing manager here. Welcome, everyone, and happy birthday. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with some history. Why don't you take us back to when the museum first opened up and how it's changed over the years?
2: Well, the building for kids, originally called the Fox Cities Children's Museum, uh, first opened its doors in November of 1992, so that's 30 years ago now. Um, It was founded by two local businesswomen and mothers. Uh, They were Rochelle Lamb and Paula Meyer, and they wanted a way to come together and really make a difference in the community. They wanted to revitalize downtown Appleton and also create a where families, kids, and their grown-ups could come and learn through play together. Back in 1992, when we first opened, we were just part of the second floor. So part of our second floor that we currently are, we've always been in the same building. And then in 2006, we expanded to also include part of the first floor as well.
3: You know, when the museum was founded, over 500 community volunteers came together and literally physically built the Fox Cities Children's Museum for 1992, and since that time, we've grown, expanded throughout our entire history. We've always held the title of the physically largest children's museum in the state of Wisconsin. We were one of the early children's museums in the state. But since that time, Wisconsin has had a boom of children's museums. And we are the highest concentration of children's museums per capita in the country.
1: I think that's amazing. And I did not know that that many people helped build the exhibits and whatnot, but uh, my dad actually helped build the Bolt Construction exhibit. So when I came here as a kid, like that was always the coolest thing to tell all of my friends of like my dad helped do that. Um, I was that annoying kid, but you know I feel proud of that. Like it's really neat to see how the communities
3: come together and supported it over the years. Yeah, and Carolyn, you're, you're certainly not alone in that. With, with that many hands building the, the early exhibits, that story is a really common story that we hear. In fact, you know, parts of that 1992 museum are still with us today. The cab of the Bolt Construction Junction is still original to 1992, um, as is the back end of the Pierce Fire Truck in Station 99. And so actually there's a plaque on the, on the back of that fire truck that lists the names of the people who helped build it, and it is not uncommon for me to see now typically a a grandparent pointing out a name on that list to say, I helped build this. Um, And that pride continues through all of our exhibits. Uh, In the 2006 expansion, um, many of our exhibits were were built in partnership with exhibit design companies. As the the model of Children's Museum exhibit manufacturing has changed and become more outsourced, um, those stories are fewer. um, But we still have a lot of local involvement in the design um, and the support that makes those exhibits possible.
1: So Oliver, you have a a unique personal history
3: with the building for kids. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so back in 1992, within the first, say, 10 weeks of the museum opening, um, in the first 10 weeks we had, I believe, 50,000 people come to the Fox Cities Children's Museum. Um, And I was one of those um, and came to see the Dinosaurs Alive exhibit, which was these giant animatronic dinosaurs. And you would come in and the the old, we're in an old department store. This was a Prangie's, And the escalators were still here that connected all the floors. And so you'd ride the escalators and then this Tyrannosaurus Rex would be there. Um, And that is a foundational memory for me as four-year-old Oliver um, seeing a dinosaur at the Children's Museum. After that, I believe the next traveling exhibit that they had was called um, Backyard Adventures. Is that
2: what it's called? Backyard Monsters, I think. Backyard
3: Monsters. And it was actually in the space right out here um, that's no longer occupied by the museum. And it was like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids type. You were walking about, and this giant ant or (laughs) ladybug was there. Um, And so those early memories have stuck with me. And then I kind of grew up and was going to school um, in the valley And ended up going to high school and graduating from the high school that's located in that exact same spot that that Backyard Monsters exhibit was, Valley New School. And at Valley New School, one of the things that you, a requirement of of participating at that um, program is over 100 hours of community service a year. I was located right next door to the Children's Museum, of which I had these fond memories. So I started volunteering. Um, My first day volunteering, I dressed up as Wild Thing um, and scared young children during story time (laughs) um, and fell in love and um, then eventually got a job here. My first day working at the museum in two thousand winter of 2006, I hosted a princess tea party and continued working here through the rest of high school and college and only left um, when my wife and I joined the Peace Corps um, and left the community for a few years. Didn't know I was coming back to the Children's Museum But it was when I was in Africa that I really discovered all those things that I thought were fun and great at the Children's Museum, how important they are and how we take them for granted. I had sixth grade students in Africa that grew up in a community where play-based learning wasn't an option. And I had sixth grade students that couldn't put together a six-piece puzzle because the the skill of abstract thinking or problem solving is something that we assume is taught in the classroom, and it's really taught through play. And those examples continued to stack up while I was teaching teaching And started to think about how much I took for granted those early experiences I had as a child because some of our community members got together and built a children's museum for me. And how much I wanted to contribute to that future for my kids and for their kids and the rest of the kids in our community. So I came back to Appleton. Again, not planning on working at the children's museum, but highly valuing um, the work the children's museum did. Um, And it wasn't until an opportunity emerged where I could come work here at the Children's Museum and make sure that my focus was on reaching underinvited invited audiences. Um, I was the director of community engagement. It was a shared position supported through uh, the foundation between the symphony and the Children's Museum to reach underinvited audiences, to invite new groups of people in and to take programming out and build trusting relationships in demographics and groups of people that were not being served. And so that's what brought me back to the Children's Museum, eventually leading to me becoming the executive director in 2019.
1: And now you have kids, and your kids play here too, right?
3: Absolutely, my kids think I have the best job ever, and I think they're right. But that they certainly come to the Children's Museum several times a week, participate in our after-school programming, and it is an absolute joy for me to be able to see my kids playing here and how much it has impacted their growth and development.
0: I want to ask you about the
3: under-invited audiences and and how you're reaching them today. Yeah, so our journey on um, understanding who feels comfortable coming to the children's museums and the barriers that they face to come here has really grown over the decades. Since the very beginning, it's been identified a need to help families overcome barriers to participate here at the Children's Museum. But oftentimes, those efforts really only focused on financial barriers to access. And what we've learned in the past years is that financial barriers are a real thing that we need to work on, but often they're not the most pervasive problem or the most pervasive barriers. And so what we like to focus on now is there's barriers of invitation, communication, transportation, and accommodation, in addition to the financial barriers. In the last seven years, the Building for Kids has really invested heavily in developing not only a robust access for all scholarship fund, which can get rid of those financial barriers, but also focusing on trust building within communities that don't come and participate here, for whatever reason, to identify not only those barriers more specifically, but also to make sure that families can feel like this is for them and it is intended to serve them and to advance their goals.
0: That, that is incredible. Um, I, I'd like to uh, ask you a little bit about the museum's special place in the landscape of our area in the Fox Valley and you know uh, how this is really a treasure that makes an impact.
2: I think that the museum plays a very important role in our community. One of the things that we talk about here is how we are located right in the heart of downtown. And that says a lot about the type of community that we're a part of, one that really values kids. And all their grownups as well. And so I think it's very important that everyone has a space to come and learn through play. We talk about how play on the surface is a lot of fun. And so when someone's on the crane and they're using the crane, it's not just fun for them. It has so many other benefits underneath the surface as well. And so recognizing that this is a place where they can explore, where they can try certain things out, see if it works, see if it doesn't, it really adds to their education in more ways than people would think.
0: And Casey, you've got a lot of other programs, not just the visitors who come, but, you know, we see field trips, maybe some other
2: programs. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Absolutely. So field trips at the museum have been happening since we first opened in 1992. And they are one of the core relationships that we have in our community is with schools. And What schools can provide is so important, but this environment allows them to go outside of the classroom and experience different aspects of the world. And so we have discovery classes at the museum that explore things like matter and how that functions. And then we talk about weather. And there's just so many different opportunities to learn here that go beyond playing on exhibits as well. And not just young children. We always talk about how when you come here, it's the building for kids. So kids are a huge priority for us. but The grown-ups who come with them benefit as well. When you talk about kids playing on the crane, I mean, there's just as many grown-ups playing on the crane as well. (laughs) But it's also about building relationships, intergenerational play. So when kids and their grown-ups play together, it builds resilience, and not just for the kids. And it creates happy memories that can last for a lifetime. I mean, I came to the museum as a kid, and I still remember playing with my mom, dressing up in grandma's attic, and sitting in the grandma chair. And so I think those are really powerful memories.
3: Yeah, I think, like Casey said, that it's, it's a really important distinction that Appleton has that our children's museum is literally where the addresses start. North, south, east, and west in the city of Appleton is determined by our block. And at the be, at the very middle of town, what is our community put there? Children, the building for kids. The investment in our shared future is what that says to me. And that investment pays Dividends in many ways, not only the intergenerational play based learning and the resiliency building relationships that are developed, but also the economic development. Our Children's Museum attracts over 100,000 visitors a year to our downtown. Our direct visitor spending from day trip visitors in 2019 was over $3.4 million of their coming down and spending money at our coffee shops, our gas stations, and our other establishments. We also need to recognize that the importance of competitive attraction and retention of workforce. And the children's museum plays a key role in that. I know specifically of, of someone who came down and asked for a tour of the children's museum about seven years ago. I gave them the tour of the museum and they made a decision to take a job in the Valley because of the children's museum. And I know that there are many untold stories of that. And we hear that from our corporate partners in the community, is that when you're trying to recruit talent or retain talent, particularly talent with young families, having a children's museum like this the largest in the state, is meaningful. And that's another impact that this organization has in the community that's often not what we talk about um, because our core focus is on each and every kid and them reaching their developmental ceiling while building the intergenerational relationships that are necessary for our entire community to thrive.
0: We're going to take a brief time out and be back with Oliver and Casey in just a moment. Hi, I'm John Stellmacher, a board member at the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley region. Do you need an idea for a present for the holidays or a birthday or another celebration? How about a gift that keeps on giving? Donations to charitable endowment funds within the Community Foundation are a way to honor someone important in your life while benefiting a charitable cause that's meaningful to them. Go to cffoxvalley.org to learn how to make a gift that will make a difference in your community and in the life of someone you love. I like that I can bring my kids here with like out of plan and I just know they'll be busy for hours and they'll be happy and they'll go home and they'll be tired. (laughs) My sister and I were here 30 years ago for the grand opening. Our dad, their grandpa, built the train that used to be um, here. I can't stress how beneficial it's been for me and my mental health and for them and their development. We go and play in the art area, we get messy, we do things that we won't normally do at home.
1: And we're back, continuing our conversation with Oliver and Casey at the Building for Kids.
0: Oliver, um, over the years, you must have collected a lot of stories and some that have touched you personally. Can you share a little bit?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think that I've had an opportunity in the almost- 15 years that I've been around this organization to see so many stories of impact. Um, one in particular is um, that I think is unique is that, and the Community Foundation played actually a big role in it, is um, our work in the autism community. Um, so I was working at the front desk one day, and we had a special event for what was called the Autism Society of the Fox Valley. I didn't know almost anything about autism at this time. This was early 2000s. But that night, I went to Barnes and Noble and was kind of waiting around while My now wife was shopping for books and I found a book on autism and I sat in that aisle and I read the book on autism and I learned so much about the barriers that people with sensory sensitivities um, or sensory processing disorders um, may face in coming to the building for kids and how there were accommodations we could make to help resolve that. That led to the next morning, a call with the community foundation about how do we How do we embark on this work? And conversations with specialists from the school district and the Autism Society um, led to the development of what we called at the time Spectrum Saturdays and our Autism Inclusion Program, um, which received two grants from the Community Foundation that first year. But then led to some really powerful experiences where we not only created those sort of designated times where we made museum-wide accommodations for kids with sensory processing disorders, but also we created understanding through trainings of staff of adaptations we could make on a daily basis for any visitor who who needed some accommodation um, in order to participate here. There was one family in particular that came down every single month and arrived as soon as we opened. Um, I later found that they drove every month from Green Bay, the mother and the and the son, and they would come into the museum and they do. You'll know our second floor is kind of a loop. They do a loop around the second floor and they'd leave. And I always found this interesting. And I would always be facilitating some programming during each of these times. And one time, it was probably about nine months into their time coming. So nine times they'd come and done a loop and left. And I was sitting in, the, in our Da Vinci art studio and they came around and I looked at him and I said, do you want to make art with me? And he stopped and veered into the art studio and sat down next to me. And we made art for an hour together. And the mom cried the entire time. And she said to me, she said, you don't know how many times I've come here and looked and wanted to be like all the other families who can sit and make art with their son, and us providing that opportunity for us to be open with one kid, because that's all he could predictably handle, created that space for that mom that day. And it's why I show up to work every day.
0: Thank you.
2: So right now you're listening to our fire truck. This is one of the exhibits that had a version of it back in 1992 when we were founded. It's a Pierce manufacturing fire truck. and it's one of everyone's favorite spots. They want to come here, save the day, put on the firefighting coats, the hats, grab the hose and put out the fire.
1: So we know that the success of the building for kids takes more than a great location and all the educational opportunities. It takes amazing staff, collaboration, and lots of partnerships. Can
3: you tell us more about those? You're absolutely right, Carolyn, in that um, the team, the volunteers, our board leadership, our community partners, and certainly funders like the Community Foundation play an important role in us achieving that broader mission to inspire discovery and build resilience through intergenerational play-based learning and the exploration of the arts, sciences, and humanities. I'll say that the Children's Museum is in a very unique position. We are a large platform with a large audience, and we're multidisciplinary. Some people come here and they think, oh, it's all, it's all about STEM learning or it's all about arts or it's, it's about all of those things. It's about early childhood development. We play in, I just like to say, we play in all the sandboxes. And in all the sandboxes, we have a unique position to be able to see connections across those silos that exist in our community. And so we have a critical role in, in, as a convener to bring those partners that we have in the arts together with the partners we have in STEM workforce development or the partners we have in the formal education system together with our basic needs partners working in our access initiative to find a way to identify community problems earlier and to come up with innovative solutions. It's a really important role that our Children's Museum plays, again, behind the scenes in the system that creates the vibrant community that we envision.
0: Uh, Oliver, you mentioned donors. Tell us about the importance of uh, donors and the generous grants, a few million dollars now from funds within the Community Foundation alone, uh, supporting the building for kids.
3: Absolutely. We wouldn't be anything like we are without donations from our community. Um, the majority of our revenue comes from what we call earned revenue, or, or those those user fees, the admission, the membership that, that families pay who utilize our services, or the field trip fees that schools would pay. However, it doesn't cover the costs of running a children's museum. Um, I'll use pre-pandemic numbers because they're the clearest. Um, 2019, our cost per visitor was over $11.50. So for every person coming in the door, it costs us over $11.50 to provide them the service that we did. Our earned revenue per visitor is about $5.80. And so recognizing that gap as an ongoing basis is the, the role that donors play in maintaining the ongoing operation of this institution. Beyond that, the capital investments, it's a capital-heavy, intensive environment. Every exhibit is a custom exhibit. The heart slide that I'm looking at right now, which was built for us in 1994, was a partnership between Dr. John Milkey and a Lawrence sculpture professor, that is one of a kind. There's nothing like it anywhere else, and to create those sorts of custom experiences, there's a lot of capital-intensive investment that's necessary, and we're so grateful to our corporate partners in the community who have helped us make sure that we continue to invest in creating unique learning environments like the Heart Slide or others.
0: Yeah, you'd, uh, when, you, when you walk in the door, you see this giant tree, uh, and that was actually funded by a, a donor who uh, thought that that was important. Tell us about this big tree.
3: Yeah, so the Discovery Tree is the central exhibit um, in our 2006 expansion um, and was supported. It actually is the, the largest um, contribution, single contribution we've received through the Community Foundation from Jack and Ethel Keller in support of that Discovery Tree. And it's a two-story climbing structure where kids can learn about confidence building. You know, risk-taking is an important part of development. And I have heard this from other families, and I will never forget the day that my son was able to do the net climbing by himself. That day, the pride, the confidence that was built that day, and the amount of work that we put in together, him and I, in taking measured risk time after time, um, for him to achieve that goal in his life is a really important lesson and develops those those important pathways for him to take measured risk and to have confidence as he as he grows and develops. How have you been celebrating your birthday?
2: We have been excited to celebrate our 30th and the three decades of Play That have been happening here at the museum. And so we did this in a few different ways. We hosted a big BFK birthday bash for families to come. It was basically like a huge birthday party. We did goodie bags. We did face painting. And it was just a fun time for everyone to come and see for some how the museum has changed over the years. We had some people who said that they were there On the day that we opened as well and so it's a cool story to see the difference in the museum over the years one of the other things we did was we also hosted an adults only night at the museum it was party like it's 1992 and so we rewound and we celebrated everything 90s that we could think of
1: well you had pizza and a cereal bar right (laughs) we did
2: um the lunchroom for the evening was a pizza hut pizza buffet. And we also did a build your own cereal bar. We had um, an arcade down in our innovation lab where you could play Oregon Trail to your heart's content. And then we had a dance floor and DJ. And so they were playing all 90s music. So think Macarena. We also had a board game room in our Da Vinci art studio. So we played all 90s board games. So things like Mousetrap were in there as well.
3: So what does the future hold for the Building for Kids? Like, I know you have some big dreams, so tell us about those. Yeah, so I guess the third way that we celebrated our birthday was with an event that we called And the Beat Goes On. And and this event was not only a celebration of all of those people who have come together to make this institution what it is, but it's also uh, the launch of our Building for Tomorrow's Kids campaign. This campaign is really... Uh, a focus on on a transition or 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 setting the foundation for the next phase of this organization 's growth and development it 's a one point two million dollar campaign broken down into three pillars: one is an investment in today uh, addressing core infrastructure of our facility to make sure that we 're operating efficiently and effectively. The second is stability for tomorrow and that 's a facility investment fund it's people don 't recognize it, but we actually own twenty two and a half percent of an old Prangies building um, and so so with that comes some some association capital risks um, that exist and to make sure that our organization is able to to plan for and also be able to withstand those risks and make sure that that doesn't falter or doesn't inhibit, our mission delivery, um, we're creating this quasi-endowment facility investment fund that was board reserved. And the third one is really sustainability for tomorrow. This is how we make sure that not only are we being good stewards of the asset that we have, because that's all we are. We're stewards of this work that started 30 years ago, and there will hopefully be people 30 years from now having this exact same conversation um, about how they've carried that torch or that relay stick down. Um, But we need to be good stewards of it, but we also need to make sure that it is there in 30 years or 60 years for my kids to bring their kids or their grandkids. In this community, we we need to not take it for granted. And so it's an investment in permanent endowment funds. We have a small permanent endowment held at the Community Foundation, um, and we're really grateful to the donors who have helped start that and had the, the vision of recognizing the importance of doing that. But I'll share that it is, it's insufficient to ensure the sustainability of the organization. And so our goal is to get our endowment balances up to $1 million as part of this campaign. It's Split into two endowment funds. One is called the Building for Kids Fund or Building for Kids Endowment Fund, which supports general operations of the organization. And the second is the Rochelle Lamb Building for Kids Fund, and this is named in honor of one of our founders who really pushed towards creating this endowment to ensure sustainability. But that fund focuses on the distributions from that fund support our Access for All Scholarship Fund um, to make sure that not only are we good stewards of the asset we have today, we make sure that it is here for the future. But that that fund is really important. Important to me because that makes sure that it's here for the future for everyone in our community and that this asset continues to serve every family, every child in a way that that makes that impact and, and creates that energized community that is part of our vision. How can people get involved if they're interested in supporting that vision? So the, the Building for Tomorrow's Kids campaign, um, there's a really nifty website that Casey's helped set up. The URL is give.buildingforkids.org slash tomorrow. Um, and you can go onto that website to see how we're tracking on this campaign, Um, and also you can make a contribution right there, or you can obviously contact me at the museum. Number is 920-734-3226.
1: Oliver and Casey, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and more importantly, thank you for the work that you do every day. Thank you for your service to the community. It makes such a big difference, and we're really proud and happy to celebrate your 30th birthday with you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you. That's going to wrap up our program for today. We hope you enjoyed it, and you can find all the links and resources that we talked about today by going to cffoxvalley.org backslash podcasts. Thanks for listening.
1: You can subscribe to this podcast and get all of our episodes delivered to you wherever you listen to audio. We'll see you next time on Voices from the Valley, a podcast of the Community Foundation for the Fox Valley Region.